Welcome to Life U 2021 through 2022. In this season of change and challenge, the Spirit is calling us to explore four life-giving practices, fervent prayer and worship, tending to scripture, telling our faith stories, and serving the neighbor with courage and generosity. We hope that you will join us on Wednesday evenings for a meal, a dynamic TED-style talk, and opportunities for conversation. For more information, visit our website at www.standrews.org forward slash LifeU. And now you'll have an opportunity to hear last week's talk. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Life U, Life University. I'm Deacon Stephanie Anderson, and we are so grateful to be gathered with all of you, both here in person and, of course, all of you joining us online tonight. Today kicks off our month of January and our month of tending to the spiritual practice of telling our story of faith authentically and compellingly. So we kick off tonight, and as we do so, let's gather our hearts together in prayer. Creator God, we thank you for the gift of this evening. We thank you for the ways that your still, small voice guides us and calls us. God, give us clarity and courage to speak your good news, our story, your story, into a hurting world. In your good and holy and gracious name we pray. Amen. Tonight I am super thrilled to introduce you to a theologian and friend who is here with us tonight, Alexis Roan. I'm going to give you a little introduction to her past and who she is. Alexis, or Lex, is a writer, producer, artistic theologian and revolutionary artist devoted to, the explore, to exploring the power of story through fiction and story slams and page-to-stage production. She's passionately committed to truth-telling, and she offers a compelling voice to people looking for authenticity and transparency. She utilizes her extensive experience in the corporate sector, customizing workshops and branded events and coaching first-person storytellers in live productions. And she comes to us tonight with degrees in journalism and public, public relations and theology. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Alexis Roan. <laughs> Thank you, Deacon Stephanie. Uh, good evening. Tonight is the 22nd anniversary of a decision that I thought was going to net me uh, great wealth and important, um, just kind of an important uh, resume. And uh, I was supposed to do important things based on a decision that I made January 5th. 2000, 22 years ago. I was eight years out of college, a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin, and I was working in human resources. I was a senior recruiter. Uh, I was all over the community. I was doing all of the right things, uh, shaking all the right hands, kissing all the right babies, showing up in spaces completely 
doing the whole Lex thing. Uh, I can be pretty impressive, even before, like, you know, I, when, when, when uh, uh, Deacon Stephanie was reading the, my bio, like, that's one thing. I was like, man, I sound kind of interesting. But most of the time, the kudos that I get is when people meet me. And that had been my reality for about eight years. And it was time for me to do that sort of next level thing. I had been on several panels, and I happened to be sharing a panel um, talk with the senior VP of human resources for an organization in Houston that was the one spot that everyone wanted to work for. If you had this organization on your resume, you could basically write your own ticket. So when I got a call from her after meeting her on this panel, she's like, who is this person? Who is this, this young woman on the other end? I need, to, I need to know her. So of course I'm handing her my business card. I want her to know me. Like I know who she is and I'm excited that she wants to know me as well. So we meet. And she makes me an offer, and I say yes, and on January 5th, 2000, uh, we are now past the whole uh, Y2K thing. Everything worked out. We figured that out about 9 a.m. on December 31st, 1999. Uh, we knew everything was going to be okay. And so I was excited about this new chapter. This organization was known for being uh, philanthropic generous um, in political causes, conservative and progressive causes. Uh, they were known for um, just being the, 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 like the organization that everyone wanted to work for. Forbes magazine had voted them the most innovative organization, I think it was like five, four, four or five years straight. And um, I could not lose. I could not lose with them. The CEO and his wife, uh, his wife, I'm sorry, she keynoted uh, a Boys and Girls Club uh, dinner. And in that dinner, she told her husband's story. And then at the end of the story, she whips out her checkbook and writes a $150,000 check on the spot in her husband's name for this Boys and Girls Club. They were amazing people. So when I got this offer, I was convinced that I was going to do amazing things with these amazing people. This organization, Enron North America. First work day of the year, I, um, before we get to the, the office, we have to do the new hire orientation. Now most new hire orientations are done at the HR conference room in the organization, but not at Enron. Enron's new hire orientation <laughs> was done at a five-star resort around the corner from, the org from, from, from corporate headquarters. We were served breakfast on fine china. We had the white linen experience. It was super posh. The um, the person who led our orientation was one of the executives. And he said, we have hired you because you are the best of the best. You need to know that you have a great future here. And all you have to do is to continue to perform in the same way that you have that got us on, like that, that got us on your radar, um, that, that, that where you were on our radar. Continue to do that and everything is going to go great here. I was excited and I was convinced. 
after breakfast, after the breakfast slash new hire orientation. I then go to the corporate headquarters. I park in the, um, the company garage, and I was flanked by a couple of dozen silver Porsches. Now, at the time, I drove a convertible red Ford Mustang, and I felt very diminished. I really thought I was doing big things with that convertible Ford Mustang, but when you're flanked by a dozen, uh, like a couple of dozen silver Porsches, it just doesn't, it doesn't really stack up. So I was like, okay, I'm going to fix that. I'm now here at Enron, going to get my silver Porsche. Go into the uh, front lobby, con uh, uh, polished um, uh, marble floors, floor to roof window, um, just glass all over. There's no art with the exception of the, um, the, their, the company logo, the Crooked E. It's the only piece of art that was up there. And I am excited and I am nervous because I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. Go to the elevator, waiting to get on. My office was on the 27th floor. And uh, elevator comes, group of us pile on to the elevator. And as it began to thin out, I noticed that right on the other wall from where I was standing, they had their, uh, the plaque with the company values, four, four, va four core values, um, ethics and integrity <laughs> were two of them. Get to the 27th floor, and I get off, and as I'm going down, to, uh, going down the hallway of my new office building, of my new office, I'm greeted by one of my new colleagues. Uh, he stops me in the middle of the hallway, and he says, your name is Alexis, right? I say, yes. And he says, and you just come over from, and he named the investment firm I just come from, and I said, yes. And he said, well, I'm about to test your value as a recruiter. And he says did you bring the corporate employee directory for the investment firm? I thought, no. And I told him the employee directory was online, so like there was no physical directory. He thought about it for a minute. He moves out of the way. He lets me, lets me go, <laughs> pass by. And then I'm thinking, and also that's like theft. It's like, you know, that, that information is proprietary information. But as I flank right, there is a library of corporate directories that other employees have brought over. It wasn't under lock and key. If you needed to hire for any position, you just go to the library, pick out one of the directories, thumb through, find the person's email address, their uh, phone number, the position that they worked for, and you can call and say, hey, I'm with Enron and I have this position. And because you said the name Enron, more than likely you were guaranteed to at least get their, you know, have their attention and then set up that meeting. And I thought, huh, ethics and integrity. I was with Enron and there were quite a few people that I met, but the three folks that I will never forget, I actually met them during my first week. The first was uh, an African-American woman who was the, uh, she was doing uh, an executive uh, office rotation. She had been recruited from an investment firm in New York, and she had been recruited directly by Ken Lay, the late um, CEO. And Ken Lay said to her, 
you are going to be on the executive floor with us. But first, we need for you to do a rotation through these other departments. We want you to see kind of the Enron way. And so her first rotation was in HR. And so I remember her just kind of bemoaning like, oh, yeah, I have to be here, you know, with y'all in HR. But I'm on my way, you know, to the executive floor. Like that's the, I'm just doing my time here. Uh, in about a year or so, I'm going to be with, uh, well, with Ken Lay and the others. It's the first person I remember. Second person was a marketing manager. She'd been with Enron for about 14 or 15 years. What I remember about her was that she too had studied journalism. It was broadcast journalism. And she had a dream to serve as a broadcast journalist. But she got a job at Enron in marketing and she's like, okay, I'll try this out for a few years. And a few years becomes 14 or 15. And then she described her situation as uh, being one where she is shackled with, quote, velvet handcuffs. And it was no longer prudent for her to think about leaving. So she was just going to ride it out. She was being taken care of quite well with Enron. The third person, though, was a secretary. She'd been with Enron for 23 years at that point. And she had amassed... Uh, as a, as an, an administrative assistant, she had amassed a $1.3 million retirement portfolio. She had amassed this $1.3 million portfolio in 23 years by taking every bonus that she had ever received at Enron, purchasing stock, and now she is a year and a half from retirement and it's only getting better, and she is like, ah, oh, I have struck gold. Ethics and integrity. I, too, was pulled into this sort of lavish experience. Everything looked good on the outside. I was making a decent wage. So much so that if I went to work on that day with a suit that I didn't like, at lunch, I would go to the Galleria, which is a very swanky uh, sort of mall in Houston, and I would buy a new suit. And then I would come back from lunch and I would feel better about my life because, you know, I needed to represent. I needed to do my part. The employee, um, the, the cafeteria, was not just your regular sort of, you know, sandwiches and soups and, you know, like the chef line. All of them were staffed with like professional chefs. And it was healthy and it was beautiful. And every occasion, every, you know, even our lunch was like the special occasion. And you could even use your employee badge to just swipe and get, you know, the, the meal, you know, covered. And it would be deducted from your, you know, from your, uh, your, your paycheck. But at the end of the day, I kept thinking, my first hour with Enron, ethics and integrity, was 15 letters on a plaque. And I could not figure out what do I believe, my truth or my lying eyes. Everyone else was giving me very compelling content. Take the money, <laughs> get the Porsche. Bring your retirement over into Enron's and like, listen, look at what it's, look at how it's performing. All of those different things were happening. But I could never escape that something 
was off. Now, I'm not a financial person. I don't know anything about like what was happening on the trading floor. All I could see was silver Porsches. Um, the executive does our new hire orientation and a $1.3 million investment portfolio from a secretary. And it was very convincing. But what was also convincing was this. When you're talking about living in faith every day, it is not just about your Bible classes. It's not just about our Sunday school lessons. It's not about our official training. There was something more that had been happening with me all of those years. And all it did was tell me to pay attention to the fact that if you say that your values are one thing and you are openly in violation of them, what does that mean? I didn't have an answer at the time. I just knew that it meant something. I decided it meant something. And so what I did was I said, okay, they said that they have recruited the best and the brightest. They, they, that, that's, their, that's their standard. You know, we only recruit the best and the brightest. So here I am, the best and the brightest. Do I get to decide what my life is going to be? Or does someone else get to decide, hey, we have decided that you are the best and the brightest, and we're going to be the ones to co-opt what it's going to look like. So I decided if I'm indeed the best and the brightest, which I agree that I believe that I was, what would it look like if I, if I decided, like, this is what I want my life to be. This is how I want to move in the world. So I thought, well, what does the best and the brightest want to do? So I started to think about my training. I started to think about, like, what are the things that I said I wanted to do when I was studying all those years at uh, University of Texas? But then I started to search deeper. What was the character that I connected with mostly in my childhood? Believe it or not, it was Pippi Longstocking. And I connected with her because she was courageous enough to go out and to do all of these adventures all over the world. But how did I meet Pippi Longstocking? I met her through a person who chose to tell her story. And it was at that point I thought, storytelling, but not true first-person storytelling, which is what I'm doing now. I wanted to be the person who created stories that other young girls could connect with. What would that look like for me to serve as the best and the brightest as a storyteller? So while I was at Enron and I knew that I had decided I was the best, of the, the best and the brightest and I could let my life be whatever it was going to be, I chose to take a um, creative writing class. And the class responded so powerfully to that short story that I wrote, it eventually became my first book. And then that first book was connected to a four-book series uh, about that same character as she was coming of age. Five months after I started with Enron, I gave them my resignation, submitted my resignation. And um, I then took a year off to write my first book. And a year later, actually a year and a month to when I resigned, uh, March of 2001, I formed my own publishing firm, Unshackle Publishing, and I released my first book, Premature Pleasures, story of a 
preteen who looked like she was 15 or 16. She was 11 years old, looked like she was 15 or 16, hooks up with a scandalous group of girls one summer when the parents are not working and the kids are home alone unsupervised. And I've completely gone in this whole other direction. But one year and one month from when I left Enron, I was on to my new thing. Two months later, the three women that I remember, the executive, the marketing manager, and the admin assistant were unemployed and were embroiled in this international scam. Every time I've thought about them, I've wondered what Sunday school lessons did they remember? What particular things were stirring in their spirits? As they pulled their cars in and they're flanked by all of these silver Porsches, what was stirring in them? As they went to their particular offices and they had to get off the elevator with the plaque that gave the four core values, did they see where there were violations and what we said we stood for versus how we showed up in the world? I thought of them often, and I have not ceased to think about them whenever I have hit a difficult spot where I'm like, okay, um, it's looking one particular way. But is there something deeper in my core that I can trust? Is there something about living in faith every day that lands and that stays? from all of those years of just being present and trusting that there's more. Here's what I'm asking you to consider tonight. What was that moment in your life where you saw the convincing evidence, but something else was, you were rooted in something deeper and different, and you chose to trust the mystery, living in faith every day, trusting the mystery of what that looks like, or you chose to not trust the mystery, and you're like, I'm going to just trust what I see. What was that occasion? Take one minute to just think about that particular thing. One minute. What was that? What was that event?
You have to love a speaker that is so thought-provoking that you just get lost in the moment and the thoughts. And I thought, gosh, on the spot, I can't think of one. And within just that small amount, I think I was on my third (laughs) of like, oh my gosh, those times in our lives when there's something within us that is stirring and we want to trust it. And I can think of the times when I did and the times that I didn't and and what those kind of results were. And so let's give it up, our appreciation for Alexis Roan, for her sharing of her story bravely and compellingly and helping us to start thinking about our own. Thank you so much, Alexis. That was really, really a gift for you to be with us tonight. I'm Pastor Sarah Breckenridge and just have really enjoyed this whole series of Life View and, and especially this month. I think this month is always my favorite when we get to the storytelling and thinking about the importance of story and how other people's stories stir stories within us and thinking about those parts that truly speak to us and, and what do we take with it and how do we truly live in our faith every single day. So we hope that you will continue uh, to join us on Wednesday evenings. A couple things you'll want to know. Next week, we're so lucky to have Diane Mills with us. Again, an incredible person who helps us think about the ways in which we tell our stories and how we get to write our own stories and, and how they keep going, right? And so one of the changes is that that is actually going to go back to being Zoom. If you remember last year, we did all of Life You Zoom. Next Next week, we will be doing that class via Zoom. Speaking of Zoom, many of you may have seen, if you were at the meal um, on our little trifold, the workshop that Alexis uh, was going to be leading on Saturday here uh, has now also moved online. So for some of you, that may have become more convenient or like, I didn't know how I was going to get there. I wasn't quite sure how that was going to all work. And it also means there's a reduction in the price. So it is now only $20 to attend her amazing workshop. You've gotten just a a taste, a foretaste of a feast to come. And so if you are interested, you can talk to Deacon Stephanie following tonight or go online. There will be a link provided um, to register for that workshop and to get just special one-on-one time um, with Alexis uh, through Saturday will be an incredible event in a small group. So we think that that is wonderful. Um, And just to know that tonight, uh, because she has flown in from out of town and is here, she's willing to stay here for some following discussion um, and conversation. And so instead of like typically we'd go and go up into room 201, we're actually going to stay right here, but we're going to take a two to three minute stretch break. So if you need to run to the restroom or grab some water or if you do need to go no worries but also if you'd like to stay for some continued conversations about the importance of our stories um, we invite you to just move forward and we will continue but with that thank you for coming I'm not going to say go in peace I'm going to say I hope you stay in peace and um, continue the conversation thanks for being here